0: If you have your Bibles, you may open them to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. And this morning, we finish the Sermon on the Mount. We've been walking through Matthew since December of last year, and we will do so until the end. And this big section, this Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has called his followers to be a certain type of people, and do a certain type of thing, is the best and most amazing sermon that's ever been preached. And today, we have the opportunity to hear Jesus' words as he closes this sermon. As we open in prayer this morning, we will pray for our kids going to camp. We'll pray for Charles and the ten who are in Costa Rica serving uh, this week. We prayed for them last week as well. We'll pray for our nation this morning, and we will pray for ourselves that we would take seriously these words that Christ puts into our hearts today. So let me read these words, and then we will pray together. It says, Matthew 7, verses 24 to the end of the chapter. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let's pray as we open God's word this morning. Father, this morning as we open the words of your scripture and hear the words from the mouth of your son as he closes the most impactful sermon that has ever been preached, we pray that you would give us crystal clarity to see the condition of our souls. You tell us that you call us to be people who build our lives on the rock of obedience to the words of Jesus. We pray that you would show us more than anything else this morning if we're truly in the faith, if we're truly on the narrow road that leads to life, we pray that you would do transforming work in our hearts this morning. We pray for these 200-plus kids who are going to camp in a few weeks that you would break their hearts to the truth of your gospel and they would obey that call and turn from their sin and find your son, Jesus. We pray for these young men and women in Costa Rica that you would transform them as they bring your gospel to others and that you would transform many young kids in this camp that they're running over these next few weeks. We pray for our country this morning. We think of the tragedy of the shooting a few weeks back and the way that you've worked good through it somehow. And as your people clung to you in prayer that you cause these bad things to work together for the good of those who love you, we cling to that promise. Our hearts are heavy as we think of a country full of people who are celebrating And we picture our society getting on a cruise ship and partying as it leaves the dock and we're standing here in the dust watching them depart and we wonder, where are we supposed to be? Are we supposed to be on that ship with those lost people? Are we supposed to be standing firm on the shore and watching them depart? or Is there something else? Is there a way that your people can transform not just their own lives, but the culture they live in? Because we see that your word tells us that when a culture of people turn from you, you start turning them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. And and so we grieve not because people need to stop sinning. We grieve because we've lost sight of our Savior as a church and as a country. And and we're living in a time where people do what they see fit. And your word tells us that there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends to death and and yet your son tells us there's a narrow road that leads to life, and we pray that people would find it. pray that you'd bring revival to our country, revival to our own lives, revival to our church, and that as we repent of our sins, and as we remember the greatness and goodness and hugeness of our God, that we would be utterly transformed, and from the transformed hearts that you give us, that your spirit would flow and change not just our own households, but our cities and our communities and our nation and that people would turn to you. I pray this morning you would give us an accurate view of the condition of our hearts and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus shares some heavy words in Matthew 7, doesn't he? How many of you were here last week? Welcome back. I'm glad you came back this week. Last week, Jesus said, There are two roads that Christians might walk on. You might think you're a Christian and be walking down a wide road that leads to destruction. But Jesus says, There's a narrow road and a narrow gate that leads to life, and only a few find it. He says, Christian, enter through the narrow gate. This last week, I had the opportunity to speak for the fourth and fifth graders at Vacation Bible School. It was amazing. And in my encounter with the fourth and fifth grade students, I ran into, I had the pleasure to meet the wisest nine-year-old God has ever created. (laughs) They assigned me this text from the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And they said, hey, preach on this to our fourth graders. And so I said, I know this sounds like a kid's story, but you know, it's about burning and a furnace and people are dying and... And so I just gave this message. I said, okay, hey, here's the deal. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they loved the Lord. And even when their king told them that they needed to worship the king or die in the furnace, they did not worship their king because they served a bigger king who had a bigger furnace. And and I, I, okay, God, this is what the text is about. But these are nine-year-olds. And I pictured nine-year-olds coming to me in droves, crying afterwards, not hearing the gospel, but hearing God wants to burn you to death or something. And in the grace of God, that didn't happen. I preached that text, and there was one kid who stayed back to talk to me. The the wisest nine-year-old who God has ever created. This kid comes back, and I said, hey, what brings you back to talk to me after a sermon like this? And he said, how do you know which Christianity is true? I said, what do you mean? I feel like there's a lot of different types of Christianity out there. How do you know which one's right? He said, I've got a friend who at my school in fourth grade, he's a Jehovah's Witness. And and we started talking about Christianity, and it seemed like we had different Christianities. And so he brought his Bible to school, and I brought my Bible to school, and we read our Bibles at school, and the words were different. I said, how do you know which one to believe? I, I said, well... There's a lot of religions in this world. There's a lot of different types of Christianity in this world. Here's what you need to know. Real Christianity says this. It's not do good things so God will love you. It's God has done great things. He sent his son to die on the cross, to die in your place, to rise from the grave. You believe in him. He gives you life and you do good things out of the joy that he has redeemed you. And the kid said, yeah, 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 I know all that. I know all that. (laughs) This is what I'm asking is, He said, you can pray to ask Jesus into your heart. He said, you can pray every night if you want to. You can go to church every Sunday. You can learn all the lessons, but some people do that, but they don't believe it. They don't get it. How do I know that I'm really a real Christian? I said, well, Jesus says, there's a wide road. There's a narrow road. The kid says, do I have to like interview myself to see if I'm a real believer? I said, yeah, that was where I was going. Um, the Apostle Paul says, <laughs> examine yourself to see if you're truly in the faith. He said, how do I examine myself? And so I said, well, let's read First John, nine-year-old. So we started walking through First John to see the assurance that John gives. It says, if your life has been truly transformed, this is what flows out of it. There was the wisest nine-year-old That God has ever created. I wanted to look at him like Jesus looked at Peter. To say, these things have not been revealed to you by man. But by the Holy Spirit. These are spiritually discerned things that you're thinking about, little kid. He understood what Jesus is saying here. That just because you think you're a Christian, you're not necessarily a Christian. There are countless Christians in this world who... They go to church. They pray every night. They read their Bible. They listen to the words of God and they've never been transformed. They're going to stand before Christ someday and he says, I'm going to look at them plainly. We heard this last week and say, depart from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. But there's a narrow road that leads to life and there's a narrow gate that steps onto that path and only a few Christians find it. This kid knew it. As a church, we're generally very good at examining the world. (laughs) Have you noticed that? It's a Supreme Court decision, then jump on Facebook. Look at what the Christians say. Examine, examine, examine. Look at these people, look at these people, look at these people. Paul says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Back in the 1920s, the churches in America had started getting liberal. This is a mainline denomination. They started to discard the inerrancy of the word of God. The reality of the deity of Christ and of God. And, and so some preachers came and said, listen, we need a revival in this country. And, and this is what a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones said in the 1920s about American revivalism. He says, before we deal with the position of those who are outside, let us first examine ourselves and make our confession." For every true revival in the world starts in the church. And revivals come to churches which realize their need and impotence and turn to God in prayer for forgiveness and new strength. Jesus tells us in this passage that there are two types of Christians in this world. And if you're taking notes, here's where your outline starts. The honest truth about people in church. We all hear... But only some of us obey. We all hear. But only some obey. Jesus has a simple message as he closes the Sermon on the Mount. He says there's two types of builders of religious homes, in a sense. There are those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice. And there are those who hear these words of mine and do not put them into practice. There are two types of Christians. Those who hear and only some obey. There's a question that's scary for you on that outline. Which one are you? Do you listen to Jesus or do you obey Jesus? Don't circle it yet. (laughs) All of us can circle, I listen to Jesus. If you're here this morning, you are not only hearing from Jesus, you are hearing from the word of God, the words of Jesus, where he talks about people who listen to the words of God through Jesus. You hear the words. The people who are on this wide road who lead to destruction, they go to church every week. Some of them cast out demons in the name of Christ. Some of them do many miracles in his name. They're encountering the word of God day after day in their quiet times, in their communities, in their congregations. There are so many people who think they're going to heaven and because they hear the words of Jesus. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Those who are on the narrow road are those who obey the words of Jesus this is where many of our grace censors start popping up. Whoa, whoa, hold on, Danny, hold on. We are saved by grace, through faith, not by works. No one should boast. We don't have to do anything. Like you told the nine-year-old, real Christianity is one that says, God has accepted me because of Jesus. I do nothing but cling to him. And that's what Jesus is saying too. He's not saying you need to do these things so that I will love you, Right? He's saying, I want you to do these things because I love you. I want you to trust me. I think the first girl on that video said that she learned about God on the high ropes course. Did you hear that? Did you catch it? at the very beginning? She's like, I encountered God on the high ropes course when I learned I needed to trust him with all my might. That's kind of what trust is, right? If I took you up on the high ropes course... I went through a little seminar to get my certification on how to get you to jump off of a bridge with a bungee jump on you or whatever. Like, if I took you up there and I said, listen, do you trust me? I want to test out my high ropes ability on you. You'd say, yeah, Danny, I trust you. I show you my certificate, like bungee jumping instructor. Then we go up there and I look at my book and read the instructions and I tie the knot around your harness and I'm checking it and I tie it to the ropes course and check the knot and Say, okay, it looks right. Um, why don't you jump now? Let's test it out. <laughs> you would probably say, oh, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I'm having second thoughts. And I'd say, hey, don't you trust me? Like, oh, yeah, Danny, I trust you. I just, I don't trust that rope. It's like, that's a lie. <laughs> that's a lie. You trust the rope fine. You don't trust my tying skills. And no matter how we spun it and how you pushed back, the bottom line was, you would jump if you trusted me. But if you're not going to jump, it's because you don't trust me completely. And Jesus says the same thing. Obedience shows that you meant it. That if you really trust Jesus, you'll do what he says. Jesus says, I want you to live this way. You're like, I trust you, Jesus. Okay, live this way. You're like, no. Jesus, come on, enter onto the narrow road that leads to life. I don't know, Jesus. Don't you trust me? Yeah, Jesus, I trust you. I just, I don't know. Like, It's a little more complicated than that. Jesus says, I want you to be different than the people that you're around at work. Yeah, I mean, I get it. That's cool, but not for me. And Jesus says, do you you trust me? Do you believe in me? Have you put your faith in me? Are you clinging to me and nothing else? Like, yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely am. I just, uh, just this thing, trust me. (laughs) I got this one. And Jesus says, this is how you know if you really do believe in me. If you really do trust me, when I ask you to do something, you are going to do it. That's what trust is. The scary thing in this passage is that what Jesus is teaching us is that our present response determines our future reality. You can write that down. When it comes to Jesus' commands, our present response determines our future reality. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Some of your translations translate that correctly. The future tense, will be. And and the word those who listen to my words and don't do it, they will be like a man who builds his house on the sand. A foolish man. He says, I am going to tell you to do some things, and some of you are going to obey them, and some of you are not going to obey them. Now let me tell you, when you choose to obey, what your future will look like. And let me tell you, when you choose not to obey, what your future trajectory is, this is what your life will be like if you choose not to heed my commands that I deliver to you today. There's two types of men. The first he calls a wise man. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came about, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. We're not going to deal with this for a long time because I'll tell you in a second, it seems Jesus is trying to make this pretty obvious. So I'm just going to make one little bullet point. You can fill it all out right now. Those who obey are like a smart man who does the hard work to build a solid house that stands the test of time. Those who obey are like a smart man who does the hard work to build a solid house that stands the test of time. I don't think Jesus wants people to dwell too much in this wise man. Like, okay, how did he build his house? And, and what were the storms and the rains and the winds? And what does this signify? Jesus is just saying, listen, if you listen to my words and obey him, you're like a guy who lays a foundation before building. That's what you're supposed to do. Right, Like if you were walking down the street and you saw a guy in your neighborhood that started a construction project and you saw that he was building a firm foundation for his new two-story home, you wouldn't call an inspector. You wouldn't call up your neighbors. You wouldn't say, you got to see what this guy's doing. He's laying a foundation, right? You'd say, oh, he's building a house. That's how you build a house. That's what you're supposed to do. Not everyone does that, but that's what you're supposed to do. What Jesus wants us to pay attention to is the man who does something differently. The man who builds his house right there on the ground. And that's one that you'd probably call your friends about. You're walking down the street and you see a man is building a two-story house in your neighborhood. And he's just screwing two-by-fours into the mud. Right there, just building it straight up. Dropping some subflooring down, right? He's bringing furniture in. He's going to build some walls. He says, what are you building? He's like, I building a two-story house for me and my family. He's like, I noticed you're just screwing the wood into the dirt. Well, yeah, um, foundation, you know, just decided to forego it. <laughs> That's a foolish man. <laughs> you would probably plead with a man, right? Say, hey, you know that this house is not going to stand, right? You know that the first time it rains, this whole house is going to slide down the hill if you get lucky enough to make it to the first rain. Which could be like five years from now. Who knows when it's going to rain? You would probably plead with him. You'd bring friends over. You'd bring a contractor friend over and say, please, please beat some sense into this friend of mine because he's building a home and he's building it on the dirt. There's no foundation. He's going to dump his whole life savings into this two-story house and it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be a death trap. Warn him. You'd call the building inspector. Please, anonymous tip, go to my friend's house. Save him some heartache. He's building a house with no foundation on it. Jesus' audience would think the same thing. Yes, those who obey Christ are like a man who builds his house properly. Those who obey Christ are like those who build a religious life properly. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to believe in Jesus, do what he says, and out of the fruit of that, he builds a life for you. That's what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Jesus says that there are a lot of men and women who are building religious lives and there's no foundation. They're like a man who's building a house on the sand. Jesus has some words that describe this type of man. First, those who hear but do not obey is like a man who is foolish. He says, this is a foolish man. Maybe you've built a little house in your backyard and you didn't put a foundation on it. You know, not like a full two-story thing, but a playhouse for your kids. You know, maybe you decided you wanted to build a deck in your yard, and your buddies came over and said, hey, if you're going to build a deck of this size, you've got to put in these pylons, and it's got to go 36 inches down. You need to put the concrete in. You've got to go up. You've got to do the math. And maybe you said, eh, that's expensive, <laughs> right? I saw this thing on the Internet. You can just, like, take a deck and just lag-bolt it into the side of your house. It'll be fine, right? Some of you have done that. I almost did that. And what your friends will say, well, listen, yes, it'll work. And you're like jumping on, see, see, they're like, okay, don't jump so much. Uh, yes, you can technically build a deck off the side of your house and just put this board into the side of your house and it'll hold it for a while. But I'm telling you, when the rains come and they go into the wood and it starts to rot out, there's going to be no way that this deck is going to stand the test of time. There are going to be people on your deck at a party and it's going to come crashing down and it'll be on you because you didn't put a foundation on this construction project. Project and some of you get nervous about your deck and and you said, Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. Right? Jesus doesn't say that that's a stupid man. Like you're not stupid if you did that. I've done things like that before. I hope I'm not stupid. But he says you're a foolish man. You know, the difference between someone who's stupid and someone who's a fool is someone who's stupid doesn't know better. A fool is someone who looks at a project and sees the way it should be done, but decides to cut corners on important pieces. It's a fool. Only a fool would build a house without a foundation. Only a fool would screw his deck into the wall and hope it stands. Only a fool will say, yeah, maybe it'll collapse someday, but it'll last for a while, it'll look good, right? Some of us do that in our foolish moments, and we're not being very wise. He says, the wise man is the one who takes the extra effort and puts down the foundation. The fool is the one who goes against sober judgment from his community, from the Lord, and from himself, and says, you know what? I'm just going to cut a corner and hope it works out. The terrifying thing about this passage is that Jesus says that there are many believers, believers, people who think they're Christians in the world today and in his day, who are playing fast and loose with the everlasting soul that God has given them. Jesus said, listen, here's how Christianity works. Cling to me, obey me, walk with me, and let me build a life. And you say, okay, that sounds like a lot of work. What if I just go to church and pray a little bit and read my Bible and just hope it all works out? That's like hoping it all works out by screwing your deck in the house or hoping it all works out by building your house in the mud and hoping it all works out. You know it won't work out. You know it will fall down. It's just a matter of time. You're just trying to look like you have a new house or look like you have a new deck until it comes crashing down. And some of you are just looking like Christians until it crashes down around you. So someone who builds a Christian life like that is a fool. He's going to spend his life looking like a Christian and then suffer eternally for it. Who does that? A fool does that. Who says that those who hear but do not obey is like a man who is a fool and also... He's like a man who is lazy. Like I said before, it doesn't mean that you're a fool. It doesn't mean you're stupid. In in Jesus' context, the only reason that you would not build your house on the rock is, is really because you're too lazy to do it. Imagine living in the desert by the Jordan River, where it's generally pretty hot and dry, but every once in a while, rains come down, flash floods emerge, the river level rises, and everything gets washed away. Everyone knows if you want to build a house that stands in the desert, you got to dig down deep until you find rock beneath. And in Jesus' day, there was probably about 10 feet of sand between the top level and the bedrock or whatever type of rock there was below. And so if you wanted to build a 200 square foot house in the desert and you wanted to rip out 10 linear feet down of sand from that, you'd probably be removing like 80 cubic yards of sand before you start building. That's a lot of sand. If you're not good with construction equations, fine. Picture a gigantic dumpster, the biggest one you can picture, the biggest one you've ever seen. That's a 40-yard dumpster. Two of those is 80 yards of sand. That's a lot of digging in the first century. I don't know what they dug with in the first century. They were digging sand. You ever try to dig sand? It just falls back in. Dig, dig, dig. So you approach a building project. You either just build right on the sand. It's going to fall down, but at least all the house for a few months. Or you spend the time, the labor to get down to the rock and dig, 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 and build a house that stands. That's a lot of hard work. The only reason you wouldn't put a foundation on a house in the desert is not because you're stupid. It's because you don't want to do the work it takes to do it right. If you were honest about the building projects that you cut corners on, the only reason you didn't do it, it wasn't really money at the end of the day. You didn't want to do the work it took to do it right because that's not the fun part of construction, is it? The fun part is the nail gun, right? The framing, putting the doors in. Some of you are like, I hate all of it. Okay, fine. But you definitely don't like digging and pouring concrete and making foundations. That's the hard work, especially without power tools. Jesus says that there are people out there who, they love the idea of building a Christian life for some reason. They love the idea of praying. They love the idea of going to church. They love the idea of being part of a community. But they don't want to do the hard work of digging down deep and letting God transform their hearts. It's hard work. you got to turn from sin. you got to be honest with God. you got to do what he says when it's scary. you got to submit your whole life to him. That's hard work. And the truth is that some of us are too lazy to enter the kingdom of God. As we just want to build a Christian life and hope it stands. And Jesus says, it won't. It won't stand. Trust me, I'm the one who judges it. It won't stand. Those who hear but do not obey are like a man who is foolish, lazy, and devastated. Devastated. The word that's used most commonly in Greek in this passage is the word to fall. Fall, fall, fall. The rain falls, the house falls, and great was its fall. Jesus gives a sober warning to those who think they're in the faith that if your house does not have the foundation that it needs, it will fall down. Some of you know people whose Christian lives have fallen apart. They they looked like they had it all together. They walked with the Lord for a while and then something happened. Something minor happened. All of a sudden it's like everything falls apart in their lives and they have no trust in God anymore. They don't believe if he exists anymore. And they're all over the place and they just spin out of control and leave the church forever. And you think, what happened? There's no foundation there. The rains came and it's like the three little pigs story. They built their house out of straw and the first time a wolf went, fell apart. Some of you have had friends who were in the church in your small group and then went off the deep end. And what happened? There's no foundation in their life. And when the storms came, the hard storms fell. The truth is that those people were lucky. They were lucky because their house was destroyed before they stood before Jesus. Because there are a ton of people in this world who their houses look good on the outside. They're built on the dirt. They're lucky enough to never have a trial that causes their house to be destroyed, and someday they're going to stand before Christ, present their mansion and have him push it over, and say, "Look, look where's the foundation? I never knew you. Get out." If you feel like your Christian life is falling apart around you, you're realizing there's no foundation there. It is by the grace of God that he is destroying your house because he wants to rebuild it with a foundation intact. We wonder, what does Jesus want us to obey? He says, hear my words and obey them. Is it like the whole Bible? Or do I just have to like have my quiet time and go to church? What do I obey? Well, let's look at these words of Jesus. Jesus just spent three chapters talking through commands that he gives to his followers. He says, this is what my people will look like. Then he says, whoever obeys these things is building a foundation upon which their house will stand the test of time. Let me read. These are all the commands from the Sermon on the Mount. And I didn't change any of them. I didn't reorder any of them. They're in the same order that they appeared in the Sermon on the Mount— a couple times I consolidated a few that were the same one over and over again. But here is the command. Jesus says, if you want to live by the sermon about, obey these things. Rejoice. Let God's light shine through you. Be reconciled before it's too late. Come to terms with your accuser. Take your sins seriously. Be honest. Let go of your pride, your stuff, your hatred. Don't make a show out of religion. Be genuine. Truly seek after God in earnestness. Fix your gaze on heaven, your true home, and stop worrying about this world. Seek God and his kingdom first. Stop judging each other. Look at yourself and then ask God for what you need. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Enter through the narrow gate. Beware of false prophets. Jesus says, you, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Obey that. He's not saying, hey, go to church every week, read your Bible every day, pray a lot, be nice to people, and you'll go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, let go of the things of this world. Let go of the sin that you're holding on to. Drop the fake religion you've been building. Repent of those things. Cling to God and him alone. Fix your gaze on your real true home, and you'll get there someday. Jesus says, here's what I want you to obey. The gospel. The gospel. Not a bunch of religious checklists. The gospel. That's the last bullet on your outline. Jesus wants you to obey the gospel. There is an enormously holy, beautifully brilliant, and terrifying God in heaven. And we do everything but follow him. We run after money and stuff. We hold on to petty bitterness and resentment. We try to build this religious life for ourselves without a foundation. And God says, I don't want any of that. I want you. I want you to follow me. I want to forgive your sins. I want to make you righteous. I want to give you a new home that will stand the test of time. I want you to build a life, even here on this earth, that when you stand before Christ, it's solid as a rock. Because it's built on him and his commands. Turn from all that garbage. Let it go and cling to me for dear life. If you could do that, you will be as smart as a nine-year-old. He didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of religious stuff in his life, but he got it. True religion is one that clings to the true God and experiences his forgiveness and his love and his grace as he cleanses you, builds a new life for you, gets rid of your garbage and replaces it with good things, uses you as a bearer of his spirit to transform the world around you because you're not faking it and hoping you make it. You're, you're the real deal. If you've been following Christ for 60 years and it's not real, The biggest blessing you can receive before you die is that your religious life will come crashing down around you so that God can say, I want to dig up that dirt and lay a solid foundation. And even if the next five years of your life, before you go back to heaven, you're only able to do a little bit of good things in your life, who cares? Because you'll stand before him and be with him forever and ever and ever. This morning, if you realize that You've been kidding yourself. And you've been trying to fake it and hoping you make it. You're not going to make it. Let go. Repent. Turn around. Stop faking religious life. And turn to God. And cling to him. Let him forgive you of for your sin. Let him give you a new life and a new heart. And let him lay a foundation in your life. And let you obey his words and find life there. Turn to him today. Let me pray for us as we close. And we'll be able to receive an offering for these kids too.